you know, kind of had this dream, I'm going to come bring peace to the Middle East, which hasn't worked out so well so far, but, uh, you know, we can still hope. I'm Gil Galanos, and welcome to StoryMark, a show about leaders, the moments that made them, and the mark they leave. On today's show, venture capitalist and social entrepreneur, Yadin Kaufman. Today's guest, Yadin Kaufman, is best described as a changemaker. Back in the 80s, fresh out of Harvard Law and a clerkship at the Israeli Supreme Court, Yadin made a surprising choice. He joined Athena, Israel's very first venture capital firm, and helped pioneer the Israeli venture capital space. Yadin then took his skills to social entrepreneurship, which, like venture capital, was an uncommon field at the time. Today, He's one of the most successful social entrepreneurs in Israel, founding Tmura, Israel's public service venture fund, and co-founding the first Palestinian venture capital firm, Sadara Ventures. What I admire about Yadin is that he continues chipping away at one of the world's biggest challenges, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. By combining his business, policy, and economic skills with his unwavering personal passion, Yadin works to create a better life for everyone in the region. Yadin's journey did not start in Israel. Growing up in New York City, he had just graduated from Princeton and was unsure what he wanted to do. So he took a year off. Off, for Yadin, meant working at the American Jewish Committee and assisting the famous Israeli politician Abba Evan. But his real dream was a bit different. And actually worked at Yankee Stadium that summer. Probably still my best job ever. Wow. Sold soda. That was a lot of fun. And uh, the Yankees made it to the World Series that year, which was... And that was after graduating from Princeton? After Princeton, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. That's a pretty... Uh... I mean, it was always a dream of mine. I uh, love the Yankees. I was at a game. I asked one of the vendors, how do I get a job? And he told me who to go talk to. And they saw my resume and Princeton. Uh, they said, you know, why don't you work in what they called the bank? Getting the money from the vendors inside. I said, no, I want to be outside with the fans watching the game in the stadium, hawking soda. So they said, sure, whatever. Get paid to watch a ball game and kind of feel like you own the stadium. So it was a good year and lived in New York and then started law school. Do you remember having any dreams about what do you want to be when you grow up? I was never one of those people who always was destined to do only one thing. I knew that I wanted to do something involving Israel, peace, you know, kind of had this dream, I'm going to come bring peace to the Middle East, which hasn't worked out so well so far, but, uh, you know, we can still hope. I figured law would be a good and useful background. Yeah. So you made Aliyah, which means immigrating to Israel. You got a clerkship at the Israeli Supreme Court. And eventually you found yourself in venture capital. Did I miss something in, uh, in between? <laughs> You're right. It's not, not, not the most obvious path. You know, I finished my clerkship and then tried to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? I knew I didn't want to go work at a law firm. Somebody told me about a venture capital fund that had just been raised in Israel, and they were looking for somebody to join them. Well, the first thing I had to do was go to a dictionary and look up what venture capital was. Most importantly, I kind of felt this was where Israel might be headed towards high tech. What made you think that? Though we're talking about the 80s. Look, those were very different times in Israel. We met Aliyah in 1985. There was still quite a socialist economy. Israel had, I believe, 444% inflation. Sort of got your paycheck and went to spend it as quickly as you could. 
you know, it was pretty clear that that was the future as opposed to more citrus exports. And it seemed like an exciting area to be in. Most important of all, the people who were involved in that fund were really top-notch people. Someone named Dan Tolkovsky, who had been commander of the Air Force. Dan and his son, Gidon, teamed up with another gentleman in New York, Fred Adler, among the very first people outside of Israel to be investing in Israeli tech to raise a fund called Athena, which was the very first venture capital fund to target Israel. I thought this was a great bunch of people and a great idea to team up with. I definitely get your interest in pursuing that, but I'm still curious, like you were pretty young and with close to zero or zero experience in business. So what made them hmm. bet on you? That's a good question. I guess you should ask them. I guess they also focused more on people than specific knowledge or background. I hadn't gone to business school, as you said. I wasn't a technologist, but I guess they figured I'd be able to learn. Also, it was a very different time. Israel was not the startup nation. This wasn't a time when there were hundreds of... MBAs running around Israel and hundreds of entrepreneurs running around Israel. It was a very, very small industry. People looked at Israel as a war zone, worried, you know, hey, if I partner with an Israeli company or if I invest in an Israeli company, is my factory going to get bombed? There were very few Israeli tech companies, very few Israeli entrepreneurs. Those entrepreneurs, many of them didn't speak English very well, didn't really know American culture, didn't know how to approach an American company or how to work with an American company. I do remember uh, as we were going to a meeting, it might have been on the road show for Gilad. I don't remember. I think I actually had to tie Yoel Gutt's tie because I don't think he had ever worn a tie, nor did he have any reason to. But at the time, they tended to think that they were great technologists, so everything else would fall into place and didn't fully appreciate some of those soft skills. Venture capital was really, in many ways, my first professional activity. It's funny, I remember asking one of my partners in Athena, basically there were all these concepts that I was sure I had to learn and I hadn't gone to business school, I missed out, how am I going to do venture capital if I don't know how to use this term or what have you? And that's really not what the industry is about. The industry is about being able to identify what's going to be happening in the business world, about identifying people who have the right stuff to become entrepreneurs. I didn't have any experience with the kind of work that the entrepreneurs were doing, but I told myself, even if I had studied engineering, I wasn't going to be nearly as much of an expert on you know, satellite communications technology or whatever it was that these entrepreneurs were doing. We're investing in experts. We're investing in people who know more than just about anybody in the world on what it is they're doing. In 2008, you started Sadara Ventures, investing in uh, Palestinian entrepreneurs. I wonder what brought you to do that. In the mid-2000s, there was a market beginning to develop for tech in the Middle East. And I thought, you know, maybe Ramallah, maybe Palestine, we can also help get some tech entrepreneurship going. And I also started meeting Palestinian entrepreneurs. They were talented and very well-educated. And they told me that there were other people like them working for them, but they were being held back by several things. One of them was that they had no access to risk capital at all. And so I said, I'm going to try to start a fund. I knew that I couldn't do this myself, being you know an Israeli Jew in Ranana. So I looked around for a partner 
I had the good luck to be introduced to a guy named Saeed Nashef, who had just come back from 19 years in the U.S., most of which he spent working at Microsoft. And I told him this crazy idea that I had. That's how Sadara got started. The investors, people like Soros, the European Investment Bank, believed in the importance of developing a Palestinian tech sector and the Palestinian economy, both for the Palestinians, who suffer from very low growth, dependence on foreign aid, which has been drying up, very high unemployment, brain drain. The situation in the mid-2000s, shortly after the Second Intifada, was terrible. This was also pretty obviously uh, an important thing for Israel as well. Because, you know, what do you want to have living next door to you? Do you want a population that is unemployed, impoverished, and desperate? Or do you want a population that uh, is doing business and uh, being able to take care of themselves and build a life for themselves and have a stake in their own future? It's clear, as I say, to virtually everyone here in Israel, across the political spectrum, by the way, this isn't an issue of right or left. I can imagine that there was some pushback on maybe both sides, but especially on the Palestinian side, getting money from Israeli entrepreneur, co-founder. Did you experience any of that? In Israel, the common reaction was, you know, you're, you're crazy, right? What do you, you know, you want trying to get yourself killed? What are you going to go to? You're going to go to Ramallah? You're going to go to the West Bank? I mean, remember, this is shortly after the Second Intifada, where the image on most Israelis' minds was this scene of two reservist soldiers who made literally a wrong turn, ended up in Ramallah and were lynched and thrown out the window of a building in Ramallah. You know, they said, first of all, you're nuts. And second of all, what's there? What do do you think you're going to find there? On the Palestinian side, first of all, I think Palestinians had heard a lot of promises before. And then there was probably suspicion about my motivations, right? Who am I working for? Why am I doing this? You know, I was very upfront with people. I said, I'm doing this because, A, I think there's a good business opportunity here. B, because I think it's very important for all of us that we help build a Palestinian economy. And C, because I've seen what tech entrepreneurship has done for Israel. And I think that there's a chance to do similar things in Palestine. Then people saw that there was an opportunity here. What was the experience investing in, in entrepreneurs back then when nothing existed before? Yeah, it was challenging, but I had the experience of investing in Israel when investing in Israel was very challenging. As in Israel, there were a few, and a very few, really talented entrepreneurs who were passionate about developing a business idea and also about developing a sector and developing their economy for the benefit of their whole people. They all faced a lot of challenges, but in high tech, it doesn't take many people to make a huge impact. You have an idea, you start a company, and you can employ a lot of people. Uh, you really can make a big difference. You know, we only were able to make a few investments, most of which did not succeed in the sense of creating profitable businesses, but I think they succeeded by giving experience to entrepreneurs and Those entrepreneurs hired other people who also got the experience of working in a tech startup. It also, I think, made some young Palestinians believe that it was possible to have an idea, raise some money for it, hire people, start a company, and do it there. Today, you do see more young Palestinians going this route, and I think it still has huge potential to change the economy there and change, hopefully, the face of this region. I'll mention, actually, our first investment. It was a company called Yamsafer. 
I was introduced to a young Palestinian entrepreneur named Faris Zaher, and he was very young, mid-20s when we met him. He decided that he was going to go into the online hotel bookings business for the Arab world. He was, and he still is, one of the brightest, most driven, most responsive entrepreneurs that I've come across anywhere. He managed to create a company that became the leader in online hotel bookings in the Middle East, where you would walk into Yamsafo's office in Ramallah, and you would almost for a minute think you were in Silicon Valley. Unfortunately, Corona came on, and online hotel bookings was not where you wanted to be. And they had plenty of challenges. Also, I'm not going to pretend life was easy because for any Palestinian company, and this was a purely Palestinian company, fundraising was very challenging, but he went on to start his next company. And I have no doubt that if it's not in this one, it'll be the next one because these are just the kind of people that are going to succeed. We're very proud of what we did with Sadara. It was a small fund, the first of its kind. And that was the idea, you know, to spark development of an industry. Yeah, didn't you remain very passionate about creating peace between Israel and Palestinians through economic prosperity and collaborations. You more recently created an internship program and a mentorship program. And I wanted to ask you, are you happy with the impact that you're creating? You know, yes, I started the internship program because I saw that there are all these young Palestinians who want to do something in the tech world. They see what's happening outside and they don't really have that first opportunity. And I said, you know, looked around in Israel and we've got 400 of the world's largest tech companies. I said, there has got to be a way to put two and two together. We've had 82 alumni of the program in these seven years. You ask if I'm satisfied with the impact. On the one hand, absolutely. You talk to them and you hear that this program has absolutely changed their lives. A young woman named Rowan after her internship, she felt that these tools and this experience now gave her the confidence to go and start her own business, which she did smartly based on her own family business in the construction sector, developing tools to automate the construction process. You see that, and yeah, this is fantastic. And by the way, most of the interns have been asked to stay on at their host companies. So I think that's the best testament. I wish the numbers were higher. I see the impact it's had, and if we could double that or triple that, it would be even better. We need more Israeli companies to get on board, more multinational companies. That's really the big bottleneck at this point. Anybody out there listening who uh, can help us get to more host companies, you also mentioned the mentorship program. There are these Palestinians now starting companies, managing companies, and they have very few people to turn to locally because there are zero multinational companies with a presence in Palestine. And very few Palestinians who have left to go work abroad have come back. And the idea in the mentorship program was, let's find people who can be resources for these Palestinian entrepreneurs, for these business people, for these C-level executives. It's not rocket science. You know, the work is by no means done. Things don't happen overnight. You have to lay the groundwork for a long time, and then some good things can happen. But uh, hopefully, these things contribute in some way to building a Palestinian economy and maybe, you know, meeting a young Palestinian for the first time, or certainly for the first time working with them on a professional level. For the Palestinians, meeting an Israeli who's not in uniform or somebody who's trying to help them and work with them, that's very impactful and attitude-changing. And hopefully that's contributing in some small way to making it more likely that we can live together here.
And now I'm going to bring you back to the beginning. As a diehard Yankees fan, is there any hope for baseball in Israel? Baseball in Israel? Yeah, I don't know if it's a sport that'll catch on here among non-Americans, but it's a great game and it's fun. And I've had the pleasure of taking a couple of Israelis to their first baseball game at Yankee Stadium, the first baseball game ever. You know, obviously, most Israelis think this is the most boring game in the world, and clearly they have no understanding and appreciation for it. But once you sit there and explain to them what's going on, I think they like it. And now for our final questions. What's one piece of advice that you wish that someone would have given you at the start of your journey? Don't be put off by obstacles or challenges. I'm someone who really likes a challenge, and that's part of the attraction, I think, for me of trying to do something specifically, or dafka, as we say, with Palestinians. What are you currently obsessed with? I am working on another initiative in the U.S. Congress, which actually was just passed, called the Nita Lowy Middle East Partnership for Peace Act, where the funding will be used to finance joint ventures between a Palestinian company on the one hand and either an Israeli or a U.S. company or both on the other hand. And having now worked in the Palestinian tech sector, helped build it, I guess, in some way, I'm convinced that this will perhaps do more than anything else to really push this industry forward. My last question is, what are you most optimistic about? I'm very optimistic about this country's future. What Israel has managed to do in the 36 years that we've been living here and in the 73 years of its very short existence, I think it's nothing short of miraculous and not that we haven't made mistakes and not that we don't have problems, but challenges are okay as long as you think about how to overcome them. And I'm still optimistic that we're going to find ways to make that success include living in peace and having Abraham Accords not only with more distant neighbors, but also with our immediate neighbors. Yeah, Dean, it was lovely having you on our show. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Storymark. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, consider signing up for the Storymark newsletter, where we'll keep you up to date about upcoming guests. Visit storymarkpodcast.org to sign up, and you can also follow us on Instagram, at Storymark. Storymark is brought to you by iTrex Studios. iTrex is a nonprofit that inspires tomorrow's leaders through peer-led week-long treks in Israel to experience its innovation, diversity, and complex reality firsthand. For more information, visit itrek.org. I'm your host, Gil Galanos. Our producer is Ellie Blyer, and associate producer is Rebecca Sebastian. Our editor is Zev Levi. Thanks for listening, and let's go. See you next time.